0: Aloha, and welcome to another episode of the Finding Ohana podcast. I'm your host, Ross Chun, and we're here in a new and unique location. We're in Aliso Viejo, as usual, but we're here at Webb's Grainworks, and we have a terrific guest, a special announcement, and the Aliso Viejo Chamber of Commerce, yeah. all here to welcome Jeremy Webb. Hello. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. I've been very excited about this interview, but also a little bit intimidated, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, Well, actually, for many reasons. But I want to start off, as I usually do, by asking my guests do you remember how we
1: first met? I believe it was here um, through our mutual friend Bob Bunyan. is that correct? As it is correct. Regarding, it yeah, is regarding correct. this whole project and maybe even something around the caboose. I know you were here the day that we actually moved the caboose into the building, which was kind of a, a momentous day. So. Yes, yes. Um, but you've been a friend of the I, – I think of you as a friend of the project from uh, when it was you know, conceptual to right now.
0: Right now. That's right. I, I, I hope you consider me a friend of the project because I've been a great admirer of this concept, but I've also been a great admirer of your family. And so I want to bring that up at the beginning because, as, as most people know, Ohana in Hawaiian means family. And we like to make that family connection. So if anyone had grown up in Southern California like I did, the name Webb, the name Lou Webb, is familiar and synonymous with automotive business. And, and so if you could tell us just a little bit. So your dad was Lou
1: Webb. Yeah, he was. Absolutely. And uh, he was uh, in the, like you said, the uh, automotive business for 45 years here in Orange County. Um, Was one of the first people to bring Toyota um, to the country uh, when uh, imports were still not really the most popular thing amongst the American consumer. Um, He broke the Toyota market and then went on to eventually own nine dealerships. And yeah, the family name was predominantly associated with, with the automotive Uh, you know, automotive industry, for sure.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And also in later years, Lou Webb was associated with this location, but because it was an automotive museum. And that's fascinating. I have been here. Well, first of all, when I think about this, I've known your father or I knew your father much longer than I've known you because I've been coming to this museum uh, for many, many years before your creation here. In fact, you mentioned Bob Bunyan, who is a well-known car enthusiast. I think Bob was one of the first people that brought me to an event here that your dad was hosting, with all of the classic cars that were housed in the warehouse that have now uh, uh, been sold, and the warehouse is converted to an incredible space that we're going to get to um, in just a moment. But the the name Lou Webb uh, is spoken frequently in my household because my, and, and in my uh, family's households because my brothers and I grew up seeing the commercials and talking about the car dealerships. And I've, I don't think I call myself an enthusiast, but I'm a car fan and I'm always interested in, in cars. And so uh, the, the Webb family name is, is near and dear to my heart and is well known in the community. Um, but I will tell you why I'm a little bit intimidated by this because we talked about having this podcast about three or four months ago. And within a month of telling people that I was going to get to interview you, someone told me, oh, he, he's got a great podcast. He's done many, many episodes of a podcast, which I did not know. <laughs> and then I recently learned that you're a musician. And I, for those who don't know, the little intro in the beginning is me playing the ukulele. And it's sort of tongue in cheek that I do that but now I'm talking to a successful podcaster and a musician. So could you tell us a little bit first about the podcast that you used to do and if you're still doing it?
1: So I I, I like to think of myself as a person who has worn many hats over the course of my life. Um, I I keep changing and pivoting. Um, I have always identified first and foremost though as an artist Um, and creativity is at the heart of everything that I do. So um, whether it's in business or in pleasure or in, you know, whatever I seek to do with my time, I've always tried to be creative with it. Um, I have a... Uh, A real love for comedy And um, so for many years I did stand-up comedy And and was attempting to to make that You know, a lifestyle Um, Then I had children And the reality came crashing down really hard (laughs) That commuting back and forth up to L.A. Wasn't probably going to be, you know uh, Feasible and that going on You know, when you're not a famous uh, comedian The spots that you get are like Midnight, you know, on Tuesday. And that just that – wasn't, that wasn't feasible. So um, podcasting and, and the whole technology of podcasting was really starting to take off. And some of the people that I enjoyed listening to were starting to start podcasts. Uh, I had a couple friends from the comedy community, and I said, hey, let's make a go of this. And um, the first iteration of it was just kind of us getting together and being silly and talking. It was called the Jeremy Webisodes podcast. Um, and then um, as I started to develop this concept, concept, we, um, we relaunched um, and started over as uh, a spirit-based podcast. So every week we um, would discuss something that we were drinking at the time. Generally, we would uh, drink, discuss the spirit, and then a little bit about the history of the spirit, how it was made, whether it was rum, whiskey, kind of what that meant to be, that kind of spirit – and then eventually, it, it you know deteriorated into silly talking. Events. <laughs> um, I had musical guests, I had comedic guests, I had guests from the from the distilling community, and it went for you know several episodes um, until again family and getting out uh, as often, and the reality of this got more and more uh, demanding. Um, and the, uh, the band that you mentioned. Um, started getting together more regularly and we we have recently started getting some gigs and playing some weddings and things and it was like do I have the podcast the business and the band and the family <laughs> one of them's not going to be you know so um since nothing was really going on here we had talked about all the bi- the the spirits I kind of canned the podcast focused on the band um and that's the way I get my artistic outlet there was, is with music and then this is more and more taking up my time. I'm I'm here usually 12 hours a day, six days a week now, um, and it's looking more like 16 as we get closer and closer to opening 16 hour days. So, um, but I have to have that artistic outlet as much as I get to be artistic here in the design. And as you mentioned, you know, dad um, is a big part of of this, and I've tried to creatively integrate him in the space and some of you know the, the Model T and his name. you put. The original sign from the building is over here on the floor and there's a lot of nods to the family history and and the the web name because dad was such an iconic person and did spend so much time to create some weight with that name. Um, I'm happy to hopefully carry that torch on even though I'm in a different industry. The family part of it and the legacy part of it is a huge part of what I'm doing here. And we hopefully continue to make an homage to what dad did as we pivot on into another industry, which is making beer and and spirits um, for my children to maybe take that torch and carry it on or or maybe change direction. But it's really about the name, the legacy um, that was all started by my father for sure.
0: Well, and and so that's an important thing to point out. And there will be pictures that accompany – this recording, but since our our podcast is audio only, the listeners don't get to see what we're seeing right now. But we are in an incredible space, and it's welcoming. And there there's clearly um, uh, a nod to your 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 father's legacy in the automotive industry. Um, it's beautifully appointed, and Thank the the core and the design is is uh, it has created a space that. I believe, uh, because I feel this way and everyone I've spoken to feels this way, it's a place that people want to come and hang out and meet each other and socialize. And so we're very excited about that. Um, But you also mentioned your artistic outlet. And I've gone on a couple of tours of this facility. And what I realized with the last tour in listening to you speak about Distilling the Spirits is it seems to be as much art as it is science. And, And I learned a ton... From just hearing that last tour and the 20 minutes that you spoke about everything here. So I, my, one of my biggest questions was how did you get that depth of knowledge in the science behind distilling these spirits? Is that something that you also grew up with or has this been something you've been studying over
1: the last many, many years? Um, both. Uh, I like to say that I started drinking at a very young age, which is <laughs> probably a good thing to say. Um, So my family's history started in in West Virginia. Um, And distilling in West Virginia, they go hand in hand. Um, I I ended up going uh, back to West Virginia for college myself. Um, But the story for me began in distilling. In my third grade science project, my father and I built a still um, using his grandfather's recipes. Um, So the legacy of moonshining, there's there is a certain degree of science behind the process of distilling so my dad was a hobby distiller um we built a still for my third grade science project all the parents hated me (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking (laughs) um but uh, you weren't you know we weren't supposed to drink it it was the the process of of creating ethanol um and so started the, the, the love for the process at a young age and then kind of moved away for it, from it. But it was always I knew it was part of my family history um, and part, part of the whole West Virginia legacy. Then when I ended up going back to college in West Virginia, um, once again, it's a very proud part of a lot of people's lifestyle out there is this home distilling knowledge that's passed down over generations. When you go to a football game out there, everybody's got a jar of their juice. And this is the greeting at a West Virginia football game. They they wipe it off on their sleeve and they say, try that. And everybody wants you to try that. And they all got their own recipe. And um, so I fell back in love with Moonshine um, on a basic level when I went back to West Virginia. And then really wanted to start pursuing it on a more elevated level. You know, what is the difference between Moonshine and whiskey and bourbon? And and, um, that's when I really took the deep dive. Um, how do I make this product, how do I make Jack Daniels? How do I make some of the stuff that I like to drink at home? What does it truly take to make that? Also, having a background in culinary and cooking, um, there's a lot of similarities there. Distilling and uh, and beer manufacturing are essentially cooking and ex- extract extracting the essentials out of cereal grains and botanicals and then molding that into something that tastes good and is palatable but also has some kick Um, so started at a young age and then I just got deeper and deeper into it while I was in West Virginia and then I ended up in Kentucky um, at Moonshine University and I learned um, how to run basically that still right there a a 300 gallon Vendome pot still hybrid Um, and I learned from a guy that worked for uh, uh, Brown Foreman making Jim Beam for 45 years and basically taught me everything you know about how to run it and um, bottling and aging and the barrel and all of that uh, you can fundamentally learn but you have to drink and sample and kind of really truly dive into the process to realize the nuances and that's where the art comes from Um, so it became it went from a hobby and kind of a family tradition into a a passion and a full-blown lifestyle. Well, Long answer to a short question. No,
0: no, that was a great answer because you've led to so many more questions. But I want to get to the next one, which is so we've got this space, this incredible addition to the business community in Elisa Viejo, but also to the social community, because this is a place where where people will gather. And in, and the community has been looking so forward to uh, a, a business like this. And you've talked about the spirits, but then there's also a food aspect to this. So tell us a little bit about what you're gonna be providing as, as far as the unique cuisine here.
1: So to, to clarify, we are a full functioning distillery, um, brewery, and restaurant. So everything behind the bar will be manufactured in house. We have 12 taps that we're gonna fill with all of our own beers. Um, Currently we have a whiskey, a vodka, a Japanese imported product, I'm making gin next week, Um, and um, we have a flavored whiskey that we will be distilling in a couple weeks, and then meanwhile I'm filling our own brand new American white oak barrels once a, uh, fill a barrel a week in perpetuity. I'll fill a barrel a week forever. Um, and that is our bourbon that will eventually come out. Um, bourbon is a two year minimum before you can call it bourbon. So I'm officially filling my first brand new make barrels next week, and then that starts the clock for our bourbon that will come out in two years. Wow. Nothing happens quickly in the whiskey business, yeah. um, but that's the, the legacy part of it too. As we say in the whiskey business, a lot of the, the best whiskey that I'm likely to make, I may never taste. If I'm still barreling in 10 years, the 15 year, I'm starting to get a little probably outside my life, <laughs> life cycle there. Um, so that's, that's the part that I can hand over to my son. When, when I say I'm filling a barrel a, uh, a week here, we have a 21,000 square foot facility here, 11,000 square feet we can use for pure storage. Um, that's a, a, a lot of barrels. That's something that I can hand over to my children. Whiskey in the barrel is one of the only things that I can think of that appreciates while it sits there. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway that's, that's the business model uh, the, the white liquor and stuff I can get out the, the, the spirits we can get out um, uh, quickly And uh, the, sorry the white spirits we can get out quickly and then the food we've just hired our, our uh, head chef um, our menu is global comfort food um, which means it's a wide variety of super craveable foods that I hope scratch all the itches We've got noodles, we've got dumplings, but we've also got smash burgers and tacos, tater tots, french fries, kind of all the craveable stuff that you could want. I like it to be salty and spicy because that keeps you drinking. (laughs) Um, And the kitchen is currently ramping up right now. Our menu is fully built. Um, She's here developing the recipes and scaling them up, and we're hiring if anybody knows anybody that wants to work in the kitchen, front of house, we're currently hiring. Um, I've bottled three thousand bottles in the last two weeks, so we've got a thousand bottles of whiskey, a thousand bottles of vodka, and a thousand bottles of Taniguchi, which is our awamori, which I have been. Have you, do you know anything about awamori?
0: I don't. You started to talk about it when I was on the tour, though.
1: It's interesting. Um, it's a hundred percent rice, um, black koji mold fermented imported from okinawa japan this is a three and a half year old aged um awamori it's 86 proof this is the stuff that mr miyagi's drinking in the first karate kid he's lamenting his his you know fallen wife and and he gets all drunk and he's drinking awamori it's super traditional okinawan spirit um in fact, it's so Okinawan that even in the mainland in Tokyo, they don't know much about it. It's a very, very unique spirit. I've grabbed onto it because it's so unique. When I'm diving into this, this liquor industry, there's a, there's a lot of vodkas out there. There's two two aisles in the liquor, you know, uh, shop. So that's a very deep pool. The Awamori pool is very, very shallow. Yeah. So um, that's, that's my brand. I, I, I don't necessarily suggest that we take a bunch of shots right now <laughs> in the middle of the day, but I'd like to maybe send you with a bottle and have you try it. Um, in Hawaii, um, because of the community there, uh, there's a little knowledge of awamori. Um, so uh, anyway, it's something that's cool, it's new, and, and something maybe I, I think you could like. It's similar to a soju. Um, it's a little generally higher proof because it is 86 proof. Um, it drinks like a whiskey. Um, it is um, a single distillation, so there's a lot of flavor to it. It tastes like a steamed bowl of rice, the, the toasty note to the koji. Um, we're not going to have an agave spirit here when we first open. I'm not going to have tequila because I don't make tequila. In order to make tequila, I have to be in Jalisco, Mexico. So even if I made a perfect agave spirit and did it exactly like they do in Jalisco. I can't call it tequila. It's like champagne. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So uh, until I get that figured out, I truly believe that um, I can make a great agave spirit. And I believe the consumer is ready to start drinking a California agave spirit, kind of like Prosecco. Once you realize it's basically just like champagne and it's maybe in many ways better if if you're in the mood for it. That market picked up, so I think California agave market is getting ready to take off. In the meanwhile, I have awamori that I'm going to mix in the place of tequila because it has a lot of the same kind of umami and a lot of flavor like, like tequila does instead of something more benign like vodka. So we're going to mix our awamori in our, in our cocktails in place of tequila in a lot of places. So we're going to have an ala margarita. Um, uh, it takes uh, savory cocktails really well. We were experimenting the other night with a lychee cucumber basil. Uh, alamori, um it was more frozen, kind of a blended drink. It was dangerously good. <laughs> so anyway, that's what we're doing here across the board. And then uh, the beers, we're going to have them all. We're going to have IPAs, uh, really crisp um, lager uh, that's um, just very easy drinking. goes with everything. Um, But we're going to have the hazies and all the stuff for the hop heads and uh, across the board, the seasonal, the fruity. We're going to do a seltzer. So hopefully we're a one-stop shop for something that everybody wants.
0: And a lot of fun. And I think that everyone listening will recognize that there is so much more art here than expected. That's what's so exciting to me. And I think for everyone here that's watching this recording – it's exciting to see your enthusiasm because that enthusiasm—you're I, 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 actually toning it down a little bit from the tour I took. Yeah. So, uh, be- it's early yeah. in the day, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, and, and you mentioned something else. So that's all fantastic, and that explains very clearly why so many people are driving by. People are driving by asking you when you're opening and what's happening. A big part of that is the design of the building. And, and the
1: fact we have a 1948 caboose that's shoehorned exactly in the it. front of the
0: building. So, so could you tell that story? Because that story is fascinating how you acquired a, an actual caboose. It's, it's not manufactured. Uh, uh, it, it's not a prop. It's a real caboose.
1: So that is a real um, operating uh, Santa Fe caboose that was on the rails from the 40s to the 80s. It got derailed in eight nineteen eighty four and went on auction in Las Vegas. And a collector bought it and took it to his house. And there it sat um, on his front lawn on rails. He built. He set rails on his front lawn, and it sat there down in San Juan um, at the top of the hill in front of his house for the next, you know, I'm not, you know, whatever twenty years, slowly deteriorating. Um, he goes to sell the house. The new the guy that wanted was going to buy the house says, yeah, great. I want the house. You got to get rid of this big rusty thing on my front lawn. The man sitting over there in the caboose right now, wave mark, <laughs> that is my chief marketing officer. He calls me and a good friend. He calls me one morning and he says, hey, did you see this free caboose on Facebook? And I said, no. Well, what do you mean? He said, yeah, go on there. There's a guy in San Juan giving away a free caboose. And I think anybody that's doing what you're doing that had any sort of creativity would do it. And then he hung up the phone. And I called him back in 30 seconds. And I'm like, I'm fully creative, man. We're getting the caboose. <laughs> Showed up to the dude. I mean, people had come out of the woodwork over the thing. There was a ghost town in Las Vegas that wanted it. There was a lot of people that – wanted the caboose conceptually and then when the reality and the logistics of actually going and getting the caboose off this guy's front lawn up on this hill in san juan like people fl- fleed
0: <laughs> because the purchase price was free but it's not free to move right, it's that. the
1: most expensive free thing i've ever received <laughs> in my entire life is the and then getting it here and then the day that we brought it in through the back and basically Which i got had to, to witness like, there was yeah. like crowbars and a little bit of, like, lubrication to get it through the door. <laughs> and um, then shoehorned it in here in the front of the building and built the windows around it. But the um, the engineering alone on that uh, was... was uh, it, it added a year to the project and... I know that, yes. And a lot of money. <laughs> but... It's awesome and it's it's super iconic. It creates such an unique um, experience when you come here, um, and for the community, it's cool. It's neat. It's for the kids. It's cool for branding for Instagram for us. You know, it's super Instagrammable. We can uh, create beer brands around it. Our Red Loggers likely going to be like little Red Caboose Lager or something like that. T-shirts and all the branding we can use it for, and eventually. When we start to ramp up on the production side, because this is what you see, right? This is the lens that the public sees, is the restaurant. But that's the business model. Mm -hmm. These are my babies. This is the place to come and enjoy. This is a place for the community. And this is a a place for me to to test a testing ground so I can deal with people that I trust. What's safe, right? What's working? What's not working? Well, the stuff that's not working never goes out the door. When I start to, when I develop what is working, now we can start ramping up back there and go full-fledged and start trying to get this in every hotel, restaurant, bar, across you know, the United States. Because the business model um, ultimately is full SIN distribution on that side. We have a facility that is capable of getting up to 10,000 cases a year uh, productions on, wow. on that side. So we wanna be the next big player in the spirits market. Um, And uh, meanwhile, we've created this space where the community can come, help us um, gain uh, um, some momentum on a grassroots level, um, share us with your friends and family, and then ultimately the space um, will be a great place for the masses to come when, you know, when you're in from Florida and you want to come see where they make Manani Vodka. So um, hopefully we've built a facility that has staying power as well. We, we, we've spent a lot of time. We over-engineered everything, mm-hmm. again, for the legacy part, so that I can have, hand this down to my kids and that it, they don't have to be redoing it at that point. That, and that um, essentially art, artistically... We haven't done anything that isn't timeless. We've tried to create a space that's timeless and will stay relevant um, as as our interest in our brands develops and as, just as time passes.
0: And so you've created this space and, and you've got a, a, a large windows view into production. You've got an incredible bar area where I'm sure it will be four people deep to get to once you open. <laughs> Um, an incredible dining experience. And by the way, I always want to have my meals inside that caboose because yeah. it's unbelievable. Although the boots in front of the caboose are the kind that you want to sit in for hours yeah. and continue to the dine. Bring your laptop yes. and spend like, lunch and dinner. And then you've got I, – I, the other thing that's so amazing to me is you've got a, a, a gift shop with all, all of the merchandise that has the branding that you've worked so hard on. I, I do feel like this is a timeless addition to the business community here. And everyone is anticipating its opening. And even as we're talking right now, people are filtering in to go on the tour and hear more about it. And they can hear about it on, on this particular podcast. And and, um, and so I am anticipating such an incredible opening here. And I, And I do wanna mention something else. During this whole process, the other thing that you have been doing as a member of the business community You've been contributing to the community by, I know that the, uh, the Aliso Niguel High School girls dance team was able to hold car washes in your parking lot to raise money for their club because you were in construction and you allowed the use of your space to support the local community. And with all of that said, I believe, and, and I, I have it on good authority, that you've got a very exciting announcement to make right now. And so we're, we're, we're looking
1: over to Mark, make sure... Mark, I'm looking to get the nod from you that I can make the announcement for a grand opening. Okay. All right, so this is the official announcement of the grand opening. Um, we haven't put it out there at all. Um, so I will ask you humbly, please don't share this until you see it hit our Instagram. <laughs> Roger, looking at you. Um, we plan on making this announcement, t- but today um, I would I would encourage everyone to wait till Monday before they let it, the cat out of the bag. Um, but we're gonna grand op- we're having our grand opening here September 16th. Um. So um, again, theoretically, what it's gonna look like is. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, are we still planning on doing the entire week ramp up Wednesday, Thursday, Friday? uh, Okay, so we'll do friends and family soft opening Wednesdays, Thursdays, Friday night will be our uh, pre-party to the grand opening, which is open to the public. And then Saturday will be, um, we've got getting permitted to be in the parking lot, tent, full shebang, um, and we're going up from 11 to 11 on Saturday. Um, wow. Then we're going to close on Sunday, and then we'll be open for business officially Monday morning, uh, 11 to 11, running seven days a week. Forever and ever! <laughs>
0: And for anyone who's listening to this who's not familiar with the location, the great part is that you're just down the block from City Hall. I know our city manager is here, and he's listening intently about uh, everything you're describing and the details you're giving. And then we're, we're also just down the block from our sheriff's department. So we know that this is going to be an incredible community event, an incredible opening, and I'm sure it's going to be absolutely packed. But it's also going to be safe, and it's going to be something that everyone will be proud of, the morning after. Um, so I have to say, I, I am so excited to learn that. And I won't release the podcast until after Monday, um, but I, I think that everyone will hear your enthusiasm, uh, see the results of this this labor of love, and expect to enjoy every aspect of this location. I, Jeremy, I wanna thank you so much for joining thank the you podcast. Much and thank you to the Vio Chamber and all the, the, the members and friends who've also sort of drifted in as we've been recording. So thank you all very much. I just want to say from the uh, Finding Ohana podcast, mahalo for joining us. And and this is a time where we are also keeping all of our friends and family in Hawaii in our hearts and in our thoughts because of the wildfires that are going on there. So we will continue to celebrate and expect great things from our business community and also recognize the contributions that Jeremy Webb and Webb's Grainworks and the Webb family have made to the community over the decades. Thank Thank you you all very much.